0: What's up guys? Welcome to Fit Food Radio. This is episode 183. And it's me, Matt Whitmore, Keris Marsden, and the one and only Dr. Tommy Wood is in the house again. Hello, Tommy. Hello. Hello. It's been a while, mate.
1: Yeah, it has. Um. And I'm really happy to be back. I'm I'm sad it's been so long, but it's it's great to be back with you guys.
0: And it, it's, it's amazing we were just saying how quickly time goes and we were like yeah we actually think it's been it's fallen into the years now not not." The yeah when was, it, was that last
2: podcast was it over a year ago two years
1: I think so oh yeah I'm sure oh
2: wow bloody hell I guess because I see you on Instagram I feel like we're in touch but we're not really <laughs> usually it's just you and your dog <laughs> dog
1: yeah. updates how old are you I was going to say I don't post on Instagram that much but maybe it's often enough looks like I'm around are the, are the dogs well?
0: I was like worried like about you know like you think oh well, god I haven't actually seen a dog post for a while and you just think
1: the worst. <laughs> yeah, they're they're, they're fine. Um, our uh, older one passed like almost two years ago, year and a half ago, um, oh, and so then we got a, a new one uh, in the about eighteen months ago. He was he was two years he was two years when we got him.
2: Oh, the, the younger one was two years old. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Oh, no, it was a year when we got him, just over a year. So now he's two and a half. So you still got two dogs then?
0: Yeah. Cool. Um, Here's
2: a question, actually, because today we're going to, basically we've got you on, Tommy, because we want to do, what have you done a 180 on in terms of, as we've been chatting with you? It must be 10 years now, is it? Nearly 10 years we've been talking to you on our It's
1: it's close. It's probably eight or nine, yeah. Okay.
0: Do you know what's mad? Like, I almost feel like I'm talking to a bit of a celeb now. Like, I feel like, yeah. you know, like...
2: Yeah, you have been hanging with, you're, you're, with some celebs. I you're, feel you're very a, privileged when you come on our podcast. You're a
1: big-timer. You're a big-timer <laughs> now. Uh, I wouldn't call myself big-time, but, yeah, it's... Uh, do you know what? When I first started, I was always like, I'm really smart and I'm saying all this good stuff. Why doesn't anybody know who I am? And you just realise you just have to hang around long enough and yeah. <laughs> <so> eventually <laughs> eventually, you'll, you'll talk to some interesting people.
2: But I true. also think you're in the sweet spot now, where you can appear and like educate and inform loads and loads of people, but you can still walk down the street and no one would know who you were.
1: Yeah, it's it's <laughs> that's the dream. It's, it's actually like I I can imagine. So so Peter Tia as an example. I um I see him every year at the Formula One. So I go and do my Formula One work uh, in Austin every year at the U.S. Grand Prix, and when we're walking down. The paddock, people will stop him and and like want to talk to him. Whereas nobody knows who I am. It's great. So
0: <laughs> it's coming, mate. It's coming. Yeah. Um. So, oh, well, just
2: back to my question. One thing love. I was going to ask was well, when we were talking about the dog. I was going to say, do you still feed? Um. What's your dog's called? The dog you have now. What's
1: it uh, Bowen and Bowen and Morgan are the two are, dogs.
2: Are they still on raw food diets? Because they were originally.
1: Yeah. yeah. So. Uh, Bowen still is um, Morgan gets a cooked diet but it's still it's basically meat eggs and liver Yeah. Um, but it was because he was a bit of a picky eater when he was younger now he would probably eat the raw meat but it's sort of but it's, it's essentially all the same stuff yeah
0: what what kind of diet are you following at the minute mate because I'm, I'm sure the last time we spoke you were a bit more you, that was when you were kind of dabbling in a bit more kind of carnivoresque type stuff
1: Yeah, I try. Yes, I tried that just to try it uh, in like early COVID times. Um, But yeah, I'm pretty much a high protein, relatively low, like not low carb, but definitely low refined carb. Mm. um, But also not super super high fat. It's I basically just eat uh, like protein and veggies and, and fruit. Yeah.
0: Because we were just saying, actually, like on, on a, the, the episode uh, that that went out before this one, is like I had a massive eye opener this year with my carb intake. Because then, if you saw on social media, we did like that seven day fast um, back in June. June, yeah. yeah. And then off the back of that, you know, I just kind of introduced like me and you were doing more carnivore because of your symptoms. So I kind of like fell into that like. Not quite kind of because I was still eating vegetables and stuff, but it was definitely more more meat and veg, like you just said, and carbs yeah. are, are much more well at that point on the very low side. And then I started to introduce them more, but I definitely felt better for reducing my carb intake. You know, yeah. like um, I, w- I wouldn't say like I'd want to be like no carb, but you know, carbs were lower than they've ever been before. Yet training was still going well. I was recovering well virtually no bloating whatsoever. And it was a massive eye opener for me because for well pretty much forever i convinced myself that to maintain performance and recovery for the type of training I did, which was much more around like strength work, you know, anaerobic like conditioning circuits, things yeah. like that. Like I needed the carbs. I needed to be smashing mm. the carbs. Um but yeah it's been it's been a bit of a game changer for me, mate. Like it really has. And it's been amazing. Like how well i'm still performing and and, and improving on lower carbs than i've ever eaten before so
2: but you should tell him so he did a cgm for the first time we just mentioned this on the last podcast i brought him one several times they just end up on the table he never puts them on and then this time you decided to give it a go didn't you and your sugars were quite high and they're coming down when he eats so i oh, yeah. wonder if he's now too low carb we thought we'd ask you tommy would that be possibly he's like almost going into too much gluconeogenesis or dawn phenomenon because he's training so hard plus fasting sometimes aren't you? Mm. plus a lot of work stress Lots not enough sleep sometimes so i think it's like stress on stress on stress and his blood sugars are now quite high like fasted sometimes you're seven weren't mm. you in the morning I know you're in different units now. You've you've betrayed us and gone overseas, but
1: can you? Yeah. What? Well, it? What? Well, what? Seven. It's like a hundred and close to hundred twenty.
2: Yeah.
1: In old old money, as I know. <laughs> uh, um, I don't know if if you if you like feel if you feel really good and everything and everything's going well. I I I guess I wouldn't be too worried about that. Um, and that's like people who are low carb often that's the way their blood sugar pattern looks okay. is that it's higher and then it comes down when they yeah. eat um, oh that's
2: interesting so you don't so think it's like w- a high stress thing or is anything no okay no
1: like you have you have to remember that a lot of C a lot of CGM work you're kind of over in you're over interpreting based on like diabetic physiology like we don't necessarily know that what you're seeing with Matt is is bad So if everything else looks good and he feels good, I I wouldn't um, worry about it too much. There you go.
2: So I was going to ask a similar thing when it comes to – so what I've noticed when I do blood testing, this is why I wanted to ask you a bit about cholesterol We wanted a bit of a – maybe a bit of a primer from you in terms of um, what people should be looking for and whether they should worry about their cholesterol results. But with mine, as I – I think I – I, I ran some tests by you where I was just more a really clean diet, eating rice still, quite a lot of vegetables, and my cholesterol was high. Then mm. I went kind of more carnivore, ketovore, and it went really high, and my LDL went really high. And from what I've listened to, it's probably more of a carbohydrate. Obviously, like just low carbohydrates would lead to my thyroid was low and my cholesterol was high. That could be one factor. But is it something that you think someone should, an individual should worry about? I don't know whether we wind back and talk about the history of heart disease in five minutes. Can you do that as well?
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so, well, this is a, a couple of things. Um, we know that cholesterol levels, particularly LDL cholesterol, and more specifically, LDL particles, which are a subset of apo B, apolipoprotein B containing lipoproteins. So these are these are the proteins that carry cholesterol around in the blood. There's, there's ones that have a protein on them called ApoB, and they make up a, a few different types of these particles, but LDL cholesterol particles is the main one. And then there's, there's, a, there's a few others like chylomicrons, which carry fat around from the gut um, to, to, to be metabolized in the body, just as, as like normal, normal things after you eat. And these particular uh, particles are the ones that are strongly correlated with heart disease risk. Um, and that's been shown several times in several different ways. So yes, I think that your LDL cholesterol level is associated with your heart disease risk. Um, so it's not something that people should ignore uh, entirely. However, I also think that context is, is really important. And that's also been shown lots of different times in, lo- in lots of different ways. Um, and there are studies that are actively ongoing uh, that I'm sort of peripherally a part of, but a, but a part of looking at people who are like you, who go on a very low carbohydrate or ketogenic or carnivore diet and their LDL cholesterol goes up very high. You know, what happens to their arteries over time? The traditional lipid hypothesis model, as they call it, of heart disease would say that your arteries are just going to like get clogs, like a drain pipe full of fat and uh, you're going to keel over from a heart attack very soon. Um, I think it's much more complicated than that because before these particles start to get into the lining of the arteries and accumulate, you need some kind of change to those arteries. And the, that thing is usually associated with other factors of poor health, inflammation, um, insulin resistance, things like that, that then change the nature of the wall of the artery, and then you start to get accumulation of these particles. And they've they've shown this in some nice autopsy studies where if you look at the progression of this, first the artery wall changes, and then the, the, these particles start to accumulate. So there's this interaction between levels of LDL cholesterol or LDL particles or APA-B containing lipoproteins um, and systemic health um. And I think that's what more studies are, are, are going to show that if you're in really good health, otherwise or you just happen to have high cholesterol because of your diet. Um, then the risk is much, is much lower. Um, whereas if you look at the population level, which is what's generally been done, and then you look at, um, levels of LDL cholesterol then the higher the LDL cholesterol, the higher the heart disease risk. But that's on the background of a population that in general is in pretty bad shape, say, in the US and increasingly in the UK. So if everybody has prediabetes or diabetes, so more than 50% of adults in the US have either prediabetes or diabetes, in that context, yeah, more is worse because you already have the thing that's the the necessary precursor. Um, But... If you don't have that and you happen to have higher LDL cholesterol, I think your risk is much lower for a given level of cholesterol. It doesn't mean there's no risk, but I think the risk is much, much lower. Um, the exact levels we're still figuring out. But the important thing is just to say that there's an interaction between your cholesterol level and your overall health um, that I think is what's most important.
2: And is that because so I joined um so when my cholesterol levels went up, I think I listened to you have done a few talks on this, which were amazing. Um you did one with Dom Agostino and that really helped me. So I joined there's a group of lean mass hyper responders on Facebook that I don't know if you're involved in those studies. Is that the one that you're involved in? Yeah, was, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. So that with Dave, with Dave Feldman.
2: Yes. Yeah. So I, I'm part of that group, and it's one of those groups where it's so useful because you see some amazing case studies and you read all the posts. But then it can be one of those groups where you think I'm reading far too much information at nine o'clock at night, and then can to just bend and think a heart attack? But they often talk... So I knew to measure things like um, inflammation markers, like HSCRP, keeping an eye on my blood sugars, keeping an eye on absolutely <clears> everything <throat> else. But the one thing I'm hovering over is do I do a coronary artery calcium score? But I almost don't want to know, because <laughs> then... And, and the good chance it would come back fine, but... In this group, you've seen some people go, I came back fine, I came back with plaque and I'm someone who exercised all my life, eaten well, like it's crazy that there just must be... Do you think there's like a genetic component to some of these or maybe exposure to something like pollution that they didn't consider as a factor? I don't know.
1: There's also um, the interpretation... So a coronary calcium score is great to get if you're, if you're worried about your risk. It, it's not perfect um, because basically what it shows you is it shows plaque in the arteries that's become calcified. That's what, that's what gets picked up. And when you, the, but a calcified plaque is that's like a longer term response that kind of stabilizes the plaque. Actually, if you have for a given plaque, the more calcium in it, the better. Um, So if you follow somebody over time and they have one area of plaque and it just gets more and more dense with calcium, their risk is actually decreasing. Because it stabilizes
2: the plaque, okay, so it's not going so, to break off and then cause a clot somewhere.
1: Yeah, yeah. And so, in young people like you, you can have a clean coronary artery calcium score because you have plaque that hasn't been calcified yet. Okay. Um, so you have this. So there's there could be stuff going on that you don't pick up. Whereas in older people, um, a coronary artery calcium score is maybe more is maybe more useful.
2: Okay.
1: Um, I, like that, I like that you
2: call me young, by the way.
1: Well, you are. <laughs> I, uh,
2: I definitely in, don't feel in, in, it. <laughs>
1: re- relative to the research, uh, the 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 gold standard is, is a CT angiogram, but that obviously requires contrast and and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So that would that would tell you your full plaque burden, including whether it's calcified or not.
2: Okay.
1: Rel- relative to the exercise thing, there is a reasonable amount of research that says that people who do a lot of endurance exercise have more. Um, coronary artery calcium compared to other people like them who don't do a bunch of exercise but their risk of heart of heart attacks is still lower um so actually it's thought that the act of exercising not that it drives more plaque but that it drives the calcification and therefore the stabilization of plaque that you already have so just reading a single coronary artery calcium score doesn't it's you just have to interpret it on the background of all those other things
2: okay and what about like your take on diet having seen so now if you're thinking about LDL and the fact that there can be some dietary changes does it change what you're recommending for an individual or have you changed your take on any certain food groups because I know there's a bit of discussion on dairy um and it's like I definitely saw this in my mom and dad when they started downing cream and, and butter when we kind of went more paleo, and it's, <laughs> mom just used it as an excuse to eat a block of butter basically. And their cholesterol, yeah. LDL as well, everything doubled, and then they took it yeah. out and it all came back down. Whether or not, obviously, I'm not saying that was. Um, we don't know whether it's causing any problems, but would it change what you recommend to someone as more kind of research emerges?
1: Yeah, I, I think. So, if there's already so if you're if you're somebody who's been at a high risk for a long period of time, maybe it's already likely that you have some some stuff going on in your arteries. um, Then that process has already started. So I I think that I would be less bullish about somebody then you know going very low carb and their their LDL going up and saying you know that's probably fine because everything else is already in place for those you know a higher LDL particle to to be a problem, so I think that's definitely a potential. And I would generally not recommend that people consume tons of dairy fat, like just like downing butter and cream, because that is one of the best way. Like butter is the best way to increase your LDL cholesterol, like hands down, compared to even compared to other saturated fats. So they've done lots of randomised trials where you like change one fat for another and like coconut isn't as bad as butter despite the fact that they both have a a bunch of saturated fats so something that's really good about so butter is just really good at really raising your LDL cholesterol so for most people I'm not saying that you shouldn't have butter but I I don't think you know these sort of historical trends of filling your coffee with butter and downing you know whipping cream and stuff like that and double cream I just I don't I wouldn't say for most people I'd say that's probably not a great idea.
0: You've seen it a lot with the this big kind of like trend of carnivore at the minute though, aren't you? Of like people having like a massive steak and then literally like slabs of butter on top, like almost with every mouthful. I saw one guy that was almost like, get a chunk of steak, whack on a knob of butter, like with every single mouthful, and you're like, right. Well they do
2: burnt butter bites quite a lot. Which I did try to make one. Yeah, because I was like, I just need something. Like so, burnt butter bites is you basically cook the butter <clears throat> so it browns and then freeze yeah. it. And <laughs> I ate one and got the worst acid reflux I've ever had in my life. So, I was like, well, that's game over. <laughs> but, like, but just out of temptation, I wanted to try it. But it's it, it's interesting because also, at the time when I first got my started tracking my cholesterol to see what was going on, mine was going up and up and up. And at that point, I think I was on fish, chicken, rice, and vegetables, not much else. And he's, Matt's there with his steak, butter, cheese, burgers with cheese, meat wrapped around an egg. Just, and your cholesterol is like half mine, isn't it? Always mm. has been, like, so unfair. But yeah. There
1: is a genetic component to response, yeah. definitely, so that, that could be part of it. And heart
2: disease um, doesn't run in your family at all, really, does it? Diabetes does. Diabetes so does, it he, yeah. He'll get there in the end. <laughs> Something will kill him.
1: When I, um in this kind of scenario i still like try and apply the evo- the evolutionary lens a little bit yeah. and there just isn't a scenario in recent human history where vast vats of essentially processed fat which butter is one of yeah. were made up a significance that constitu- constituent of the diet that was like never anything that we had you know access to so that in that kind of scenario I think this just seems a bit weird because yeah you'd eat the steak great Mm -hmm. but you didn't have a whole bunch of butter to add to it so it just doesn't it doesn't quite feel like it it aligns with how humans have eaten historically so that 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 kind of helps frame how I think about it a little bit
2: which brings me on to my next question in terms of then fats dietary fats I'm also seeing a big switch at the moment on seed oils and Mm -hmm. over here um tim spectra kind of via zoe app he has a newsletter and he's putting out now that he doesn't think seed oils are a problem and i know that there's now that they're trying to do i don't know if they're doing more research but there is no human research as i understand it that says seed oils will contribute towards inflammation increase your risk of of you know cancer heart disease all the all the chronic inflammatory conditions and i just wondered what your take on that was and whether you've done a full 180 and i sat there with Margarine on your toast.
1: <laughs> um, so I I used to Yeah, be a, a lot more anti seed oils than I am now. But that doesn't mean that I am now pro seed oils. Um so there's you're right. The, the in terms of the the human evidence, so I think some of the best, you know, large scale human evidence looks at say the amount of linoleic acid, which is the omega-6 fatty acid that makes up the you know, the, the majority of most seed oils, um, rapeseed, sunflower, um, soybean, which is, which is used a bunch over here. Um, and if you look at somebody's body fat content of, of linoleic acid, it's essentially a pretty good indicator of how much they've consumed because most of the fat on your body is fat that you ate. Um, And when you look at that, there's no real evidence that the the amount of linoleic acid in your body correlates with um, heart disease or anything like that. If anything, the trend goes in the other direction. But I would just say that it's sort of like neutral when when you look at those kinds of studies. There are some studies where you you infuse somebody's body with very high amounts of this. So you do this with something called intralipid, which you use for for various things. It could either be just to to give them fat if they can't eat, say in hospital or in the ICU, um, or you know it's also used as an antidote to certain um, drug overdoses and and other things. In that setting, if you're infusing somebody with a whole bunch of linoleic acid straight into their veins, you do see some evidence of. You know, inflammation and insulin resistance acutely, and that's where a lot of this. So it is the, that is evidence in humans, but it's not the same as how people are consuming seed oils out in the population, right? So it's a, so it's a different population, and so I think that's where some of the discrepancy comes. Um, there's also some evidence that, say, in Alzheimer's disease, people have, uh, in, at least in one study, elevated uh, levels of these metabolites of linoleic acid called oxidized linoleic acid metabolites or oxlams. Um, and that you can reduce these by um manipulating the diet. And in animal studies, these oxlams seem to mess with um particularly with brain metabolism and the uptake of omega-3s, which we want, into the brain. So there's kind of like these, you can draw some potential um Kind of lines of evidence that say you know these things may not be great, particularly for the brain. Um, and in the developing brain, there's also some studies where um, historically they had formula in babies that was very high in linoleic acid, and it basically prevented DHA, the long chain omega three, which you want in your brain, getting into the brain. Um, and they've done that in humans as well as in some good animal some some good animal studies. So I think very large intakes of these may have negative effects on the brain, particularly the developing brain. However, that just means you shouldn't douse all your food in seed oils. Um, but small amounts, I'm not worried about at all. And, and historically, we probably you know humans have probably gotten something like two to four percent of their. Um, Daily calories from linoleic acid because of that, you're getting them from nuts and legumes and the some animal fat and and stuff like that because you know they get it from from plants. Um, So small amounts are fine, but I generally would recommend avoiding anything you know just having your diet contain a whole bunch of refined fats, and that includes large amounts of butter as well as large amounts of processed oils like. Why would you need that? There's no nutrients in it. It's just calories. So I would prefer to eat foods that actually have nutrients in. And if some fat comes along for the ride, that's great. Um, But adding a whole bunch of extra fat to your diet with any of those things just doesn't make sense to me.
2: What about peanut butter, though? Because that's like a processed fat, kind of, but a really nice one (laughs) I really like and want to eat every day.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, like some is fine. Certainly not worried about it at all, but... Th- Again, it's th- 30 grams, it's, super, 35, it's,
2: Like
1: <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's calorie dense and nutrient poor. Like, so you just have to know, you just have to know that. It's a pleasure food. That's it. Yeah. yeah I'm not, I'm, I'm not against any of these things. No. It's just, you know, the
2: right what
1: here. makes it the majority of your calories should be relatively, um, calorie sparse for want of a better word, because, you know, most meat and veggies and things like that, have you know are less calorie dense than ultra processed foods mm-hmm. um and it should be nutrient rich um and then if that's the vast majority of your intake then all these other things are fine to have with it
2: because i think the important point as well is seed oils especially here are unavoidable in terms of if you're eating out you're always going to have exposure to them in some way often yeah. in dressings and sauces and even if you know like every now and then matt likes to get a salad dressing or something don't you and it's like got rapeseed seed oil in it and it's kind of if you enjoy that every now and then obviously there's better ones we make our own but just occasionally we go camping and just grab someone from the supermarket yeah. and i used to be like no seed oils no 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 yeah. whereas now i'm like okay it's it's a small amount but i was going to say could you almost give what does what's the practical kind of application of what you said because i know some people will go away from this and go I'm not sure on eggs and red meat anymore because Tommy said that, you know, LDO. <laughs> so uh, no, completely...
1: no, but Sorry. yeah, okay. okay. Uh, so eggs and red meat are great. So I guess my, my main, the main point is that regardless of what it is, I just, I wouldn't add a whole bunch of refined fat, but control what you can control and don't worry about the rest. Like a little bit of rapeseed oil in a salad dressing, mm-hmm. absolutely fine. Like not worth worrying about at all. Like, a bit of butter on a nice bit of sourdough toast, absolutely great. But that's not the same as adding five tablespoons to your coffee, which is something that people have, yeah, yeah, have yeah. done. And I actually, I, I've done in the past. So right. these kind of normal, quote-unquote normal uses of, of some of these things are great. It's just we've taken it to the extreme. or And there are a lot of people who are like, oh, you should have extra seed oils because it brings your LDL cholesterol down I don't think that makes sense Um, does that does that help
2: yeah yeah, yeah.
0: absolutely like and and funny enough like we we talk about this in the in the way as well of you know just managing body comp as well right like you know people are like using oils for their cooking their salad dressing and sometimes I'll say to people, like, do you even, do you actually measure this stuff or is it a case of just like, oh, you know, glug a load of like uh, olive oil or whatever oil in the pan, yeah. you know, throw the dressing over the salad when it's like, well, actually, if you measure it, you know, because, you know, it's fat based, it's high calorie. And again, like you, it's like, we're not saying don't have these things, just be a little bit mind- more mindful of the amount that you're having. Yeah. And people are often yeah. quite surprised when they measure it out and they're like, oh, actually, I. Because if you've got a good pan as well, it's what I always say. If you've got a decent pan, you need minimal oil anyway.
2: everyone's up to air fryers now. What's your thoughts on them, Tommy, actually? Air fryers. Have you got
0: one? Fine. Great. No, I don't. Um, Mate, you get, get one. It will change <laughs> your life, trust me.
1: <laughs> uh no that I think all that's if it if it's helping people cook at home, it's great. Yeah. No, I've we've talked about getting one several times, but we haven't pulled the trigger.
0: Honestly, we, we put it off for a long time, didn't we? Yeah, we, we
2: did. Because we, we, we have like good pans and a slow cooker. And we're like, what more do we need? But the benefit of it is you stick it on and you wander off. And for me, I don't burn it. I burn everything. So I actually think I've slightly improved your health by not burning yeah. your dinner as <laughs> much.
0: And of course, it cooks quicker. Yeah. But you've got two compartments that you can sink. So you can literally have two completely separate things that have different cooking times.
2: You and need it, to be a salesman.
0: You can go out knowing that you're going to come back and they're cooked to perfection. Honestly, yeah. get involved.
1: All right. So the, the the main do you know what the main reason why I haven't pulled the trigger is because I like to cook in bulk, right? Because then I have like lunch for the next day or two. Yeah. So I always cook enough for ten people, knowing that it will keep. Whereas you can't do that. Like an air fryer doesn't let you do that.
2: It kind of does, though, because we've got quite a big one. We've got big And we have two drawers. Oh, yeah. But what I've also done is had two trays on the go in the oven and two on the air fryer. And then the air fryer goes off with an alarm, which then reminds me to get everything out of the oven. So I've got even bigger batch cooking, yeah. haven't I? And, and, yeah, All right. like you. And then you can freeze it or whatever. And so. plus,
0: because it cooks it quicker, like, you know, you, yeah. we'll often sometimes have the two trays on the go, will not we? Yeah. It finishes, we take it out and then put something else in. Put
2: more in whilst we're eating. Whilst we're eating so, our meal. Cook a second
0: meal.
1: So, like, yeah.
2: Probably- All right. Okay. I do, yeah. Uh,
1: I'm sold. <laughs> <laughs> what, what's your What's Spotify your uh, affiliate code, Matt? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> How rude. <laughs> <laughs> no, I said, well,
0: to be fair, I should probably get one. What? Affiliate? Yeah, you should, you should. Well,
2: yeah.
0: We were talking about this that on a couple and of... And
2: electrolytes, because you keep banging on about electrolytes.
0: Before. Yeah, like, but we spoke about this, didn't we, a couple of podcasts ago. We were saying how, like, we're so bad for not not using like affiliate codes or getting a little kickback when we promote products that we genuinely believe in and it's yeah. like almost like we see it as like a bad thing and it's yeah, like, it's yeah. not it's like we, we you know we, we we use this product we rate this product why not get a little kickback for promoting something that, that you, you know, do use you, you, right, know, you don't, you're don't you? not being paid to promote it like you know it's not like blurring your do you know what i mean
2: I do think though that a lot of podcasts have gone a bit mad with that kind of stuff, advertising and and promotion of products. Some of like I agree, some of the products I hear about are really good, but it, yeah, it can get a bit irritating at times. I think it, I, I don't think the British are very good at it. I'd be terrible anyway. You could buy this, but maybe don't yeah. buy it. I'm not going to pressure you yeah. into it. Yeah. <laughs> it's your decision. <laughs> don't push yourself financially. I don't want you to get stressed. <laughs>
0: um.
2: I was gonna have. I have one more question. Have you got any more about nutrition? The, the other one I was no. gonna ask about Tommy was vegetables, because obviously yeah. I went to a conference and saw Sean Baker speak, and they did a, a debate which was really good between. Do you know Patrick Holford, who set up the Institute of oh, Personal yeah. Nutrition? So there was Patrick Holford there was Sean Baker, there was another carnival doctor and two vegan doctors, and they all had to debate, should we eat vegetables? And I couldn't even believe I was watching it, <laughs> in a way. I was like, I can't believe we're having this, this discussion. But it was very good, I have to say. So I'd love to know what your take was on that. I'll
1: have to ask. So I know Patrick pretty well, so I'm going to have to ask her about that. I didn't know he did that. Uh, <laughs>
2: he was brilliant, by the way. I liked his take on everything. You can imagine what his answer was.
1: He, yeah, he, he would have said a lot about vitamin C, I imagine, because that's, that's a big like, yeah, thing. Antioxidants, antioxidants, poly, yeah. antioxidants, polyphenols, those are all... Yeah. Um, I think you should eat vegetables. Like, there are, there are certain <laughs> that, people... That was profound. <laughs> uh, there are certain... And, and, and fruit, and fruit also. Yeah, yeah. Um, there are certain people in whom they cause significant symptoms, right? Karis, you... You know, uh, you know, fiber, fodmaps, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? You've worked with lots of people like that, and in those individuals, right? You, th- you know, you would you would make adjustments as needed, um, but the the human gut and the human diet historically has included vegetables and fruit and fiber, and I I think that it's interesting to discuss how essential fiber is. Um if you're getting say alternative um fermentable foods, like the, the there are other things that are accessible to the gut microbiota, like collagen skin and collagen and bones and all those kinds of things. If if you're eating a a purely animal-based diet, I think that the gut human gut is much more adaptable than we've suggested it is that you know you need to have fiber to make butyrate to make your gut healthy I don't think that's true uh, because again humans do just fine without those things because the the gut can actually metabolize a whole range of different things that come from animal-based foods um, or if you're just in ketosis because you're you're fasting you don't have any food your gut still works just fine so I don't think that fiber, is essential in that respect, um, but there are plenty. It, there's enough evidence to also say that getting, you know, polyphenols and nutrients and minerals and and things like that from from fruit and vegetables is probably good. Probably good for you. So if you tolerate them, um, I'm certainly not, you know, not against them. But I think that there's also an interesting discussion to be had about whether they're essential, mm-hmm. maybe not essential, but probably beneficial.
2: It's interesting because I, I, I see it as like a lot of the versions of this diet, carnivore keto, whatever, I see it as like a therapeutic intervention that seems to be bringing a lot of symptom relief to a lot of inflammatory autoimmune conditions. For some people, it's even easier, I think, than trying to do the autoimmune diet while you're constantly taking out nightshades and spices yeah. and everything but yeah. and also I was saying this to Matt I did a cancer course recently where they were saying throughout chemotherapy especially anything to do with the gut it's like zero fiber for a lot of people it's a low residue diet they'll get a sheet from the NHS that says eat rice crispies, rice cakes you know it's really processed and refined and I've helped a few clients do just a really good version of a low residue diet with whole foods and I think What's, but that what I see is they panic. So someone recently had a, a cancerous polyp removed, and then instantly started panicking about this low residue diet and started chugging down um, sauerkraut, and then felt horrific. I was like, yeah. "Don't!" Like, I, and it was they read something about fermented foods and how important it was. And and I've got other clients who are autoimmune who are doing brilliantly just on things like white rice, very low fermentable vegetables, or some days no vegetables, just broth and meat and fish, and then they panic when they read about the. Essential nature. And I just think maybe there's a point at which the gut is so, yep, yeah, it's just irritated, it's inflamed, or there's some kind of autoimmune condition going on. And if someone is finding that relief, as long as you're probably checking in, doing some blood tests, working with someone to make sure that everything's okay. Yeah, I've been surprised at how many people I've seen, myself included, just way better without those things. And I keep trying, don't I, to add back in, <laughs> like, like salad, vegetable, everything, I get so much worse, and then I have to go yeah. back to kind of like broth, fish, and stuff like that feel way better. It's like there's a real difference, isn't there? Mm.
1: Yeah, I think in, in – yeah, so there's, there's two different answers, right? One is, in general, so, should humans be able to and potentially benefit from eating fruits and vegetables. Yes.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, but are there scenarios where it's better not to because you feel better? Absolutely. Um, and those, I think those things aren't mutually exclusive. Mm. Um, so just because one person feels amazing eating nothing but meat doesn't mean that you discount the experience of somebody who feels amazing eating nothing but fruit of which there are some people. Right. Um, and all of this is perfectly possible and perfectly reasonable. Um, I think it's worth. So actually, I wrote a paper with um, my favorite gut expert, Lucy Mailing, um, nice. on this. Um this is a couple of years ago now, where we basically talk about the metabolic flexibility of the human gut. Like the human gut can survive on a whole range of different substrates. It doesn't need just butyrate created from fiber by the gut bacteria. That is like that's the story that people are told. You need fiber to make butyrate to to feed your gut epithelial cells. Um, that is not the only pathway um, to, to having a healthy gut. And you can, you can still support your gut um, eating a fiber free diet. There's, there's enough evidence to, to support that. So I think if hopefully that reduces the panic, at least if there's one yeah. diet that makes your gut and you feel good, but it doesn't follow the standard guidelines, that's fine. No cause for panic whatsoever. Um, that's where I end up.
0: That, that's interesting because, like, I mean, I, I just love that response because it's like, yeah, you know, like, this works for some people, that works for others. And I think people are always looking for this, like, set in stone, this is how you must eat, this is how you must do things. And and even though, like, I you know, I, I can't ever see myself going carnivore beyond, like, yourself, Tommy, like, wanting to give it a bash. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, you like, also I, felt I,
2: better there with the fruit. You said meat and fruit was yeah. really like. Again, I think there was like because you trained on it. That so.
0: works worked really well for me. Yeah. But I like like Sean Baker's approach. He's very much kind of like, hey, like this is this is what works for me. Like I feel really yeah. good doing this. Like you know, if you want to do that, then great. Like I'm I'm all for it. And I don't know. I, I feel like we need more people like that rather yeah. than being like. I think it's oh, no, giving no. people
2: the confidence to try some things and. Yeah, and if it makes you feel good, as long as – there are ways to check that it is genuinely good as well for you. Yeah. Um, like, look at your other biomarkers. But that there's also – it's interesting because I've joined so many different Facebooks kind of for my own health. And some of – I mean, I thought, like, vegan – you know, people that – vegan proponents can be kind of cult-like. So can the carnivore tribe. It gets really – and it gets really aggressive in some of these Facebook Discussions and, and I'm someone who's got some knowledge. So I think, good, if I didn't have my training, I would just be in fear of eating full stop right now. I wouldn't ever yeah. want to eat. I really wouldn't. Yeah. Like the amount of kind of scaremongering that goes on. and And when someone has found resolution in a type of, like even a therapeutic diet, when I was being tested for reflux, I joined an acid reflux group. And some people do a low acid diet and some people do a low fermentable diet, virtually carnivore, oh. but it's called the fast track diet. And they're just at war with each other in this group. Like, you need to give up acid. No, you need to give up carbs. No, you need to give up And It just went back and forth. And I was like, none of you know what this person needs to give up. No. You know, it's like, Yeah,
1: if, if the, like, <laughs> just whichever one of those makes works. you feel better. Yeah, basically. Right.
2: It's a test. It's yeah. like a process they go through. And and maybe none of it will work. And when people posted that, they were like, you didn't try hard enough. Give it a year. Yeah. <laughs> and it was cool. like, oh, God, yeah. And even I said to you, I was like, people were giving it like three months, six months, and going, "No results yet. Give it another six months." It's like, no, if it's not working in six months, I'm not sure it's going to work for you, you know. But
1: yeah, you you, you can tell these things pretty. I like, it should be days to weeks that yeah. you would see a response yeah. if, if it's gonna if it's gonna make a difference, like, particularly to like gut symptoms, you know, bloating or anything else, right? If it, if nothing happens in months, then you're probably not doing the right thing yet.
2: Matt's doing a cheese
1: trial, aren't you, at the moment? Yeah. I
0: keep waking up with this like
2: sneezing
0: fits. Almost like a histamine response to like I'll almost like for the first two hours of the day sometimes, just be sneezing, my nose would be streaming, be blowing my nose all the time. Almost like a cold, cold like symptoms. And then it's just fine. It's just gone. And I was trying to like think what it could be. Um, but I've been I've been going a bit hard on the cheese. <coughs> been going in. Been going in on the cheese.
2: Um, it's funny because you gave it up and had one morning when you went, "I'm um, sneeze, I haven't had anything," and then, but then I've said like, coffee is you're bad with coffee, but you yeah. won't you won't actually even go there. That so that might be a possibility that you need to rein that in. Yeah, but
0: if, if yeah, <laughs> um, I'll I'll put up with the symptoms.
2: Yeah, I'd the sneeze.
0: But yeah, it passes. It passes. But but yeah, that was the only thing I could link it to was maybe just too much dairy. So I've kind of reined that in. I'm on a bit of a trial, aren't I? Well, well, he's on
2: day two when he says a trial. He's on day two.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so, and how was it? Was, and how was it this morning? It was bad.
0: Yeah. It still was bad this morning. That was like after one day without it.
1: What's so, your total protein intake?
2: And we're eating a lot of leftovers, so that could be a factor.
0: I'd probably say I'm at, I'm at about, I'd say at least two hundred grams a day. So two times. So, as in like so,
1: two, two grams per kilo. Um. Yeah. Some other things I think about. I so with those histamine responses, vitamin C, B six, copper, those are all important. Um, and then biotin. Um, and that's something that I've noticed, and actually, Chris Masterjohn has done a bunch of stuff on recently. That if you're getting like weird, weird sort of atopic topic type symptoms on a high protein diet, it might be a biotin requirement. So,
2: you need more
1: biotin than you'd yeah. find
2: in a B complex? Because I've seen some, I've just recommended high biotin for, oh, someone's um, hair was falling out.
1: What, what, you what, I guess that's, that's a good question then. How much are you taking from the B complex?
2: In a B complex, I think there's normally, but well,
1: I'm,
0: I'm not
2: taking a B complex
1: at the minute.
2: You have a
0: lot of eggs, though. Mm. Um, but the, the other thing I always find funny, though, is that it's only ever, like, in the middle of the night or sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night and my nose is just streaming. Or yeah. I wake up, like, you know, and it's first thing in the morning. But nothing all day.
2: Yeah, but that's,
1: you get yeah. histamine release overnight, don't you, Tommy? That's- yeah, I, I so so I used to have stuff like that. And I think, I feel like it's been better since I started taking a bit of extra biotin. Oh, but i don't know if that was it like it could be right
0: could just be me some right now. convincing
1: not, <laughs> myself that i did the right thing
2: i threw away the bottle i've only got them in little pots and then this one doesn't have biotin in that's my iron i'll tell you how much is in anyway but there was a higher i brought a higher i recommend a high one to a client for hair when everything else came back fine 200 milligrams is in a b complex here so you'd go like
1: because two hundred are Micrograms. micrograms sorry
2: not milligrams, sorry. <laughs> sorry micrograms and micrograms yeah things...
1: so 200 micrograms is it would be a good amount to supplement with i think one to 200 extra particularly if you're getting like egg yolks and stuff so you're getting some biotin from that i think yeah, yeah one to 200 micrograms okay. 200 milligrams that's probably <laughs> no, quite too I know. much oh no and then there was there was a four an eight a
2: six eight milligram microgram no it's a milligram
1: yeah that's a that's a lot Most people don't need that much. I would recommend less than that.
2: Okay. Yeah, there's a 500 uh, microgram. That's what I recommend to someone high strength.
1: Okay. There you go. Okay.
2: Maybe you need that's interesting.
1: Let's see. (laughs) Try it. Well, try a cheese thing first. And then if that doesn't work, try that. Do
2: you think you could give up coffee? Low histamine diets are horrific, though. They're like the worst thing. And, like, yeah. I just. Again, it's what.
1: Go on, sorry, it's t- one of those things where my guess is you can tinker with a few nutrients and you might imp- improve, improve it. it. Um, for like you know, people who have very s- severe, you know, master activation or something like that. That's different, but uh, that's not what you've got. You no, go.
2: because I was going to say it's also hard when you start reading like leftovers as higher in histamine and it just puts you off. Then as in, yeah, you have to, have to freeze everything, cook it from fresh. And- um,
1: <laughs> honestly he'd <laughs> rather he'd rather sneeze a bit in yeah. the morning yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> just, I just blow my nose it's fine um, um, do you want to do exercise yeah go on yeah you, is there anything well, we're going to talk about um, Tommy we wondered if you changed your opinion on anything exercise related like cardio seems to be making a comeback um, after cardio was bad it raised cortisol and do you, do gave you burnout and do you
0: still do cardio now that you're a you're a strong man
1: yeah absolutely three times a week um two low intensity sessions and a high intensity session um what do you do yes yeah, so it, it, it's it's funny because i know a lot of people who have have been doing research in this area for decades and they're like we told you you should probably do some cardio <laughs> and then you know um somebody invents the phrase zone two yeah. and makes it popular and all of a sudden it's it's worth specific worth doing question. again. Um what well, did you have a specific question?
2: I was say, what cardio did you do? You said you do three sessions.
1: Yeah, so I do two sessions of low intensity, like heart rate sort of 120 to 140. And it's usually it I, I've I've rotated. Um sometimes it's running, sometimes it's rowing. Um so I used to have an assault bike. The assault bike was my favorite. Um, but it got like rusty in the old gym so i had to throw it away um oh, nice. so now i do like hill walks so i'll like crank the treadmill all the way on like max incline and just walk which is okay. nice okay.
0: um how long will you do that for
1: somewhere between 30, like 30 to 60 minutes twice a week nice um and then i'll do two then i'll do um uh, a rowing High intensity session, so it's like 500 meter or oh, minute long sprints, like max, 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 um, 500 meter sprints max? are yeah, it's, it's not not horrendous,
0: hell? <laughs> mate. I, I remember like to this day, I remember doing like ten by ten by 500s, which was
1: ten by 500s. What's yeah, wrong with you? I know
0: it's too. It was far too much. That was like pure junk volume. It just seemed good, yeah. like ten sets of 500, and it yeah.
1: No, I'll do two i I'll, I'll do two or three. Like, you cannot go max out for, like, more than that. No. Nah.
0: And that was the thing. Maybe. It was like, I just saw yeah. my split time just going, like, across the rounds. So I was like, I've got to get the 10. I've got to get the 10 by 5.
2: You get us one, me and a friend, a rowing workout that was 500 metres, and then you had to set the rest, and in the rest you had to jump off and do 25 kettlebell swings and 10 burpees, and then get back on and do 500. And we did five rounds, so that was brutal.
1: But, but, then, but, then, fast. but then the five, but then the five hundred is kind of like it's almost like active <laughs> recovery, <laughs> right? Yeah, it's yeah. not yeah. the same. You're not getting the same stimulus as you are if you're like going flat out. for By, by the last set, well, I could
2: actually, have had a like glass of prosecco in one hand. Yeah. I was going that slow.
0: <laughs> this is a good thing to highlight actually, because there's two opposites here for me that I talk a lot about now. Like, don't get me wrong. Like in the past, like I'm guilty of just doing crazy shit for the sake of doing crazy shit. Like, me too. Hundred percent. Yeah. Ten by five hundred, like, is a great example. But whereas now, like I I'm a big fan of rest between sets, you know, and because a lot of people just don't rest long enough between sets to yeah. get the very most out of the training that yeah, they're doing. That's true. But yeah. then same goes on the opposite side with the the low intensity cardio. Um and I had this chat with you the other day because we went for a run together. Cause I'm I'm now following a, a running program alongside my my weight training. And I was doing a like a 40-minute a, a recovery run.
1: yeah.
0: And what I was finding initially was like my recovery runs were, were, I'm saying recovery, but all of a sudden I'd be looking at my split time. I'd be like, well, you know, if I pick up the pace a little bit, I'll cover this much distance. Yeah, But that yeah. takes away from what the recovery run is. So I yeah. started like really pulling back on 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 my pace, and I, I was running with Keris, and was like, "Slow down! Like that, you're too fast. Yeah. Like this is." Yeah. She was like, "Yeah, but I feel fine." I was like, "Yeah, but that's the that's the problem. It, you it's not just because yeah. you feel fine, you know." Like so,
2: whatever. I've said differently. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. As I say, <laughs> you know, granny hips.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, so the so I think the the most important thing if you're like really going to get into this, is you think about what's the What's the adaptation that I want in yeah. response to this training session? Right. So, if you're lifting weights in the gym and your goal is to gain muscle or strength, then you want more rest between sets so that each set you can lift more weight for more reps. And yeah. that's very clearly described now that longer rest periods lead to better adaptations over time because you do more work when you're working. With the, with the, cardio stuff you're right um people got really into the high intensity intervals because there's lots of evidence that shows that if you're trying to increase say vo2 max right your maximum um like how how much oxygen you can um you can process during exercise which is a nice um measure of how good your cardiovascular system is and it's also a good predictor of how long you'll live and how healthy you are in general if you want to improve your vo2 max then high intensity intervals are the fastest way to do that and it's pretty much just the more intense the less time you need to spend doing it it's just like a it's a simple equation of volume times intensity or time times intensity to get a total volume and, and the so then you can do it more efficiently with higher intensity work probably with the the most um the most benefit from time spent at or around VO2 max and which is essentially like the kind of effort you would you would expend if you were going to do something as hard as you could for 5 to 10 minutes so like a 2k on the rowing machine you're probably at your VO2 max kind of output Mm. Um, so like intervals at at that kind of pace for say 4 to 5 minutes at a time with some rest in between that's like the best for improving VO2 max in a short period of time but there are two different types of adaptation that you would think about. One is, how do you maximize your your VO2 max based on your current potential? That is what you do, that's what you develop with high intensity intervals. The other question is, how do I increase my maximum potential? And that's what you do with low intensity like zone two, because then you're developing new blood vessels and all these kinds of things. So yes, in people who've done no exercise at all, that will increase your VO2 max. But it's two different questions. It's just like saying, I want to gain muscle mass first, so I have more muscle that I can then make strong with specified strength training. This is the same. I'm going to make my muscles have better capacity to generate a good VO2 max. And then I'm going to develop that capacity to my maximum potential with high intensity intervals so it's two different training adaptations that you're going for depending on the intensity so that's that's how I now see it so it's very much a what am I trying to achieve from this current session so your recovery run is supposed to be this you know now famous zone two um and and there, you are looking for low-level stimulus that creates an adaptation that, you know, you start to stimulate new blood vessels and these other things. And then, you know, when you want to make the most of those new adaptations, you do your sprint work, your interval work, your speed work, right? And then you're developing your top end. So it's two, it's two different adaptations you're looking for. That's, so that's why that's, that kind of helps people navigate the, the kind of the controversies around different bits of, of cardio research.
2: And have you seen the transfer in terms of your strongman stuff now, or were you always done the, the cardio and the, I know you were doing interval. No,
1: was, for, for long periods of time, I just stopped doing cardio, but then my coach put it in my program and I recover faster between sets. So I can, yeah, I still take plenty of rest between sets, but I need to take less rest to then be able to go back and perform at like maximum output. And, um, a lot of, a lot of strongman events are, say, max something in 60 or 90 seconds. And my ability to do well in that and recover from it for the next event has definitely improved by adding more more cardio in. Um, And usually, uh, I'm not so great at the one rep max static stuff, but the dynamic stuff, which is like truck pulls or medleys, or you know, max number of reps in a certain period of time. That's usually where I do better, and and the and getting some like low level cardio in there certainly seems to help that.
0: I'm the same, mate. I've I've really like seen a a different now. Now that I've kind of found my groove with the the the, the weight training and the running, like in terms of the the balance across the week. Because at first I was a bit like. My legs were fried, weren't they? Yeah. yeah. From like the in, especially from like the interval sessions on the runs yeah. and then I'd go to squat and I'd just be like, yeah, nah. This just ain't happening today. So I've I've kind of found like a nice little pattern now, and I do feel that my recovery is so much better all, all round. Um yeah. How do you train for a truck pull, Tommy?
1: Um, so there are so do you want? Know I realised that after a decade of doing rowing and bicep curls, I am essentially a specialist truck puller because <laughs> that's the that that's exactly what you need what you need to do. So I I well I have a sled, so I I usually practice with with a sled pull and a, and a long rope, um, and I have a we have a, a section of gravel, and I just I put it along that, and so that's oh, the. Gosh. But it depends on if you're in like a harness. And you're you're pulling forward, yeah. or if you're sat and you're pulling it towards you, and I've, yeah. I've done I've done both, but essentially a combination of high intensity rowing plus a lot of bicep work. That's that's how uh, I train for a truck pull.
0: Because I was thinking it's probably the one strongman event that you can't train specifically for, unless you do do happen to have a long stretch of road and I a think actually, yeah. and a massive truck.
2: Walking Hamish for ten years. Like, he does not walk to heel. So I've just been doing a 22-kilo tr- <laughs> pull. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, but that's an hour-long
0: pull. That's, that's your yeah. Twice a day. <laughs> but it's all on one arm.
1: Cumulative. It's, like, it's imbalanced. <laughs> oh, yeah, if it's all one arm. arm, then you're just going to have one really strong. You have to switch sides.
2: I do think it's made my – like, you commented on my grip strength, because sometimes I'll do a workout, and he's like, why have you put so much stuff in? And I, I'm like, I just because I like doing dumbbell work. But my grip just stays, doesn't it? It just seems really strong. Yeah, I but was I swear like... it's walking the dog and carrying your shopping from the supermarket. That's the two things.
0: Oh, well, so there you go. <laughs> I'm benefiting you again. I've got
2: biceps, grip, everything. Every day. Most days.
0: I was about to ask you another question around Sorry. the shopman stuff, but it's gone. I'm
2: derailed. I was also going to say, one final question, to Tommy, because I know you, uh, short. You, you need to go soon. But you and Matt are both into like competitions. Do you think... Like that's important for people because I don't enter competitions because I don't really trust myself. I I kind of like to just – I just feel really appreciative that my body still moves at this point in my life oh. <laughs> after overtraining a lot. And I'm not keen on – I'm not keen on competitions for me, but you two seem to be – you always need another goal.
1: It, for me, it's not – it's only a goal because it gives me something to, to... – to focus on. So I spent a lot of years where I just like go in the gym and I just like do some stuff. And, like, it was fine, but it's nice to know these are the events that I'm going to do. I have like some specificity in my training. There's like, it, it introduces a cycle where you try and sort of build and then peak. Um, and that kind of, that kind of helps keep me motivated. I'm not, I'm never going to win a strongman competition. And that's fine. Like, I'm not there to beat other people. I'm there because I enjoy it. I'd like to not come last because I can't do it. Right? That's no fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, for me, it's it's got nothing to do with you know. On the day, you want to do as well as you can, and yeah, great if you come in the top three, which I have a couple of times. It's, it's nice. It's a nice feeling. But that's not that's not why I sign up for it. Um, but it kind of it, it adds some specificity in, in cycling and cycling into my training, and so that, that's why that's why I do it.
2: Same for you,
0: probably, isn't it? Is yeah. it? yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I love having something to aim for. But equally, and I won't go into too much detail because of the time, but I'm in a much better place with competing now because there was a, a time, especially when I was like, entered that uh, charity boxing, uh, the London Marathon. It was, at the time, and I have shared this on the podcast, I was I was almost looking for a, an escape from mm. my, my day-to-day. I was looking to almost like... A, like Oh, I can't do that today because I've got to go boxing training for three hours. And, you know, a lot of
2: people do that with Iron Man, don't they? It's like, I just want to get out of the house for about 30 hours a week. Yeah. (laughs) And to be fair, like,
0: you know, we we know people, it's caused like big problems in their relationship because it's like they've got a partner and kids and, and stuff like that. But I think i think this this is something that i would say to anyone it's like I, i'm all for competition events races all of that kind of stuff but as long as you're doing it for the right reasons you yeah. know what i mean it's coming from a good place it's coming from a healthy yeah. place and,
2: and i have the competency to look at things like your recovery and yeah yeah like whether you need to pull up in a race through injury which you're not so good at doing are you just hobbles over the line usually
0: yeah well that was me at the Brighton Marathon. Bright <laughs> blimey i was a, and the
2: london marathon
0: <laughs> I, was, I was a wreck i was a mess but you know <laughs> adrenaline's a wonderful thing
2: yeah
0: um well tommy listen mate so good speech you man yeah um, we really appreciate it you know I'm, I'm looking forward to getting out to seattle and uh, seeing this uh, new jimmy yours yeah anytime <laughs> it's ready and waiting awesome trucks and eat loads of meat yeah
1: Proper. <laughs> the, meat no, freezer, no, the meat freezer
0: the meat freezer is stocked
2: and no cheese no choose.
0: <laughs> yeah. We'll see. I might be I might be all right by then. Um, but honestly Tommy, it's been it's been a pleasure, mate. Um thank you once again, you're an absolute legend. And yeah, I'm sure everyone was as glad to hear from you as we were.
1: Yeah. Well I was very glad to be back. Oh, Hello no. everybody again. Um <laughs> and uh hopefully we won't leave it as long next time.
0: That's the plan, Definitely mate. Not. That's the plan guys thank you for listening and we will see or speak to you lovely people once again in episode 183
1: see ya bye bye thanks everybody